This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Seawald gets the sign. He sets another 3-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Top of the zone. And Seawald is looking like the Hulk as he flexes, walking off the mound. He gets the Mariners out of a bases-loaded 10th inning jam. He strikes out three Astros hitters and sends this to the 11th. Tied at two. All right. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Great to have you with us here, Gary Hill, alongside Rick Riz, as we have Mariners lockdown relief ace Paul Seawald with us. Paul, it is great to chat with you. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to see you guys. It's, uh, you know, we go from seeing each other every single day to four months of, <laughs> of nothing. And so it's good to see your faces again. And uh, just a couple of weeks, we'll be we'll be annoying each other every day. It'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, we are getting closer and closer, right? How excited are you? Very excited. You know, when, when you have a season like we had last year, it's it's very exciting when you, you feel like the anticipation to get back and, and uh, get going again and have an even better season than we had. That's how it felt last offseason, and it's even more so this offseason. Yeah, Paulie, what was it like to help hit the Mariners to the playoffs for the first time in 21 years? The 20-year drought was over. The excitement of, you know, Cal hitting that home run to – guarantee a playoff bid and then winning the series uh, in Toronto. What was that like personally for you out there in the bullpen and the rest of the guys? I mean, just a whirlwind, just a whirlwind. Um, the, the drought ending day was, was really fun. I was down because I had pitched the, the two days before. So I kind of got to be a fan there in the ninth inning. Like, Oh my God, I just watching with anticipation knowing I'm not going to play. I can't have any impact on this game <laughs> other than cheering him on. And uh, um, I mean, before the game, I was like, I wonder how we're going to feel if like how we clinch because it's just a clinch. It's not a playoff spot. Like it's just getting in. And, and then our emotion, everyone's emotion just took over and, and everyone in the T-Mobile area was dancing and everyone in our <laughs> bullpen was going crazy. And we ran in and uh, got to be a part of the big circle. And, and um, gosh, what a just, what a crazy couple of weeks. And, and it was a lot of fun. You mentioned whirlwind. That's a perfect word to describe it. I think now that you've had some time to reflect now that we're uh, some time into the off season, when you think about last year, what do you think about? I just think about, I think about a resilient group who didn't panic at all in April, May, and the beginning of June, when a lot of people were starting to ask questions of, you know, you have these expectations, what are you guys going to do? Um, and I know, I know a bunch of guys just were like, it's going to happen for us. It just, you know, it hasn't happened. Um, and then we kind of got, we had that, we had that great family trip. We went to, you know, went to Oakland and went to Anaheim and won five of six and kind of got, kind of got the ship righted. And, you know, then we started to play more of our normal brand of baseball, kind of everyone settle in. Um, you know, we had a lot of new faces and, and Seattle can be a tough place to hit. And so I think maybe a couple of people were, were a little shell shocked in April and May when it's so cold and it's really hard to hit there. And then started to warm up. We started to, you know, we stopped playing the Astros every other series in June, which was nice. And so then we kind of got back to, um, you know, who we are as a team. And then we went on that run and, and 
then it felt like it was a fair, it was a weird feeling that we felt like we were hanging on for about three months after that 14 yeah. game win streak. It kind of felt like, well, no, you're in like, now you have to hold on. And that was a, that was a very weird feeling. And, and uh, you know, it was just, it was a relief once we accomplished that. And then I felt everybody kind of took like this step back and relaxed, like the drought is over. Now we can kind of just play our normal baseball. And I think that's why we played so well in Toronto. And one of the major, major reasons why that draw was over, Paulie, was, was because you guys, you know, you were a staple down there in the bullpen. It seemed like every time you came in, you faced the two, three, four, five, you know, six hitters, you know, in that lineup. And after you were 10 games under 500, you guys had the second best record, I think, in the American League or in baseball at like 61 and 33. What made this group so special besides talent, besides you? And Matt Brass starts off the year in the rotation, then he goes to the bullpen. Uh, Castillo and Munoz was unbelievable. What made this group so special? Well, number one, I think I think that the evolution of Munoz, um, you know, he doesn't have that many. He hadn't had that many innings in the big leagues. He'd only had 30 something innings one last year. Um, he comes to in a season and, and, you know, we all know how incredible his arm is, but you know, there's a difference between throwing hard and, and getting outs in the big leagues. And I think he just kind of had to find who he is. Um, and it took a couple of months. And then once he did, you know, he's obviously one of the best relievers in baseball and, and, you know, that's, that's Scott and Woody and Trent. And that, that's their job to try and figure out who works really well and what situation. And it, you know, it took, maybe it took us a couple of months to get that figured out. And then I think maybe that's why our bullpen really found its shape and we had everyone found their role. And once everyone knows their role, everyone starts to pitch a little bit better. And, you know, that's just part about building a team and trying to figure out which combination of, you know, players in the lineup and, you know, bullpen construction that, that side sort of starts to flow. And once we did, it really felt good during that 14 game win streak. I mean, you could call down and, it was easy. Everyone knew, okay, when the phone rings, that person's going in, like everyone knows their spot, they're ultra prepared. And that's why their focus maybe was at a higher point rather than, I don't really know. I could be the first one up. I could be the last one up. Um, I think once we got that figured out, it really, our, our bullpen really started to, to grow as a group. I got to ask you, there was, there were so many great games during the course of the season, but that final three games against Houston Astros, you gave Houston everything that they, they could handle. You could have won all three ball games, uh, the marathon, the final game of the year, 18 innings, and you pitched, I think, the 11th and the 12th, two scoreless innings, no hits, no runs, no walks, and you struck out four. And the game just kept going and going and going and going. What was it like for you, pitching that ball game, especially in the 11th and the 12th, and then sitting and watching the next six innings? Uh, the sitting and watching is tough for me. I, I, you know, I've gotten pretty used to throwing later in the game. So I don't, I don't watch a lot of the game from the dugout or the, or the clubhouse or the training room. Um, that hurts because you just turn into a fan. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Uh, I like having some sort of, <laughs> you know, ability to, to, you know, play and impact the game when you're, when you're done, it's nothing but watching it. And, and, I just remember all of us, you know, one inning we'd be there in the clubhouse and it's like, all right, we didn't score, but we haven't given up any runs. So go back to where you've been sitting when we've been on <laughs> when we've been pitching and on defense. Okay. We're hitting now. Let's try and find a different spot. Um, uh, I mean, just like we were throwing out guys after guys and the Astros were too. And, and, you know, that's why they ended up winning the world series because their team was very deep and, and, you know, it just, it felt like we were never going to win, but never going to lose. It just felt like that game would go on forever. Um, and we just needed a break and, and, you know, unfortunately we didn't grab it, but you know, there's three games in a row that we just, we were right there. We just didn't make our own luck. 
um, you know, people say you just need a lucky bounce and you got to make your own lucky bounce. And we just, we just didn't find a way to do that. That's a team that's been in the postseason a lot in the last decade. And they, you know, they just know how to handle that stuff better. And, and, you know, I was just as part of a problem of, of that series, not going the way we wanted as, as a help. And, you know, I'll, you know, I, I think I'm going to do a lot to make sure that, you know, hopefully I'm better in that situation next year. And, and, but that 18 inning game was a good one to finish on where a lot of us finished on a good positive note on the pitching mound. And, and hopefully we can build off of that for next year. With everything that happened last year, do you have a favorite moment? One that you'll take with you? Yeah. Cal's Homer. It's, there's nothing, there'll be nothing better than that. It just was like this gigantic sigh of relief. It was at home. Now the Toronto series, maybe if we don't won that at home and been in front of our fans, that probably would have taken the cake as, as the number one. Um, now that's number two. It's, it's not far behind, <laughs> but the fact that we got to end the drought at home in front of our incredible fans, I think was the most impactful and most memorable game, you know, maybe of my career and, and in my life. And, and that was very, very special. And, um, you know, we go in and we celebrate and we come out, there's still, I don't know, 15,000 fans that stayed for an hour after we did our celebrate. Yeah. Like it's 21 years. They weren't in a rush to get anywhere. <laughs> it was pretty, it was still, they pretty weren't leaving. No, they weren't. They were. And, and, um, you know, 18 innings later, they were as loud in the 18th yeah. as they were in the first. And I'm so glad that we had a home playoff game. I would like to get more. And when I'd like to get a couple wins this year, but, but our fans are just incredible. And that, that was the most special moment. It just, it just felt like, a dream, especially watching it from the outfield was just like something I, I, I couldn't have written. You know, what was amazing, Paulie, is that, you know, there were 46,000 people at Rogers Center in Toronto when you swept them in that best of three series. So you, you come back, one of the biggest comebacks in postseason history, you know, in game two. And, uh, you know, I was amazed at the quiet you know, toward the end of the game. But then there were like, what, 500 Mariner fans still there and you guys celebrated. It sounded like 47,000 fans at home. What was that experience like for you to to win it in Toronto on their home field? Um, it was nice. It was nice. You know, they were, you know, they invade T-Mobile Park when they come to town <laughs> yeah. during the summer. Um, and they were, they were, they packed that place in in July when they came and we swept them for four games and yeah. set them on their way. And it was nice. And, you know, I know they were, they were upset about how that ended. Um, some people weren't excited about my sweeping motion when we got there, but then we swept them again. So I guess there's, uh, there's nothing to say about that. I just think, I just think it was, you know, it was, it was pretty darn loud, especially in my inning where I didn't, you know, I didn't pitch very well and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even hear the signs type of thing. So it, it did get very loud. Um, you know, and then we just started to chip away and chip away and chip away. When I was done pitching, all I could think was like, Oh, I just got to flush it. Cause I'm going to pitch tomorrow in game three. Like, so, I mean, nothing, you know, I'm not going to take this with me. It's no big deal. I'll just throw it away. And we start to come back. And the feeling was just like, as soon as they brought Romano on in the eighth, it felt like we may not win today, but we're going to win tomorrow because we have, he's got to throw two innings. I kind of, and then you just started to get a little better feel and a little better feel. And, and, um, wow, what an ending, what an ending. And, and Cal hits a double and Frazier hits a double and, Kirby goes out there and in his relief outing and, and that's that. And then we just get to celebrate again. Honorary member of the bullpen, George Kirby. Hey, we'll take, we'll take anybody down there. He gets three outs. That's all. That's all we care about. We're here with Paul Seawald on the hot stove. We'll come back with more Paul right after this. The hot stove show on Seattle sports presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Seawald set. Here comes the three, two swing. 
gonna miss. It's Paul Seawald and he's got him. The slider as he cuts through and leaves the bases loaded. A big strikeout for Paul Seawald and we stayed tied. Welcome back to the hot stove. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Paul Seawald here. Uh, Paul, I am very curious now that you're a well-established pitcher. You've been one of the best relievers in the game the last couple of years. Going into this season, how are things different for you as you prepare for this season? The only difference from maybe a couple of years ago or the or my previous part of my career is that I have established what I do really well, and I don't need to come to camp uh, needing to show something extra, change something, fix something. Um, I just need to get better at what I do really well, which is kind of a, it's a really good feeling. Um, I don't need some new pitch or, you know, I'm not changing my locations totally like I did in 2021. I just need to get really good at throwing the ball at the top of the zone, for fastballs and, and throwing sliders that start in the zone and break off. So that's just the most important thing. So for me, my, my plan is very, is very simple and I can just follow those two things. And that's the only two things I have to worry about in my, in my prep in my bullpens and, and, and in spring training. And so I think it makes, I think it makes my life a little bit easier in my, in the far as prep um, that I don't have to try and come up with, you know, some new idea of who I am as a pitcher. Paulie, over the last couple of years, uh, you have developed into one of the better relievers, I think, in, in the American league. There's no question in my mind, four years with the New York Mets, who was Paul Seawall those four years and what was the big turnaround and you signed as a free agent with the Mariners and what was the biggest turnaround for you to get things turned around here in Seattle? Yeah, my time in New York was not nearly as good as everyone had hoped since I got there. I got off to a pretty good start as a rookie and then kind of, you know, yeah. we had a lot of, we had, I had four pitching coaches and three managers in my four years in the big leagues there, which is, which is t- difficult to deal with that sort of um, lack of organization, lack of continuity, um, you're getting a new idea from a different pitching coach every year. It seemed like some, you know, I obviously didn't think had the right idea. You know, I, I turned into a submariner for a couple of months. There was a lot going on there and, and, you know, it just didn't go as well as we had hope, hoped. And, you know, I'm disappointed that I didn't pitch better there, but it, you know, it obviously led me to, to Seattle in 2021. And, and I'm forever grateful for the timing and, and everything that the Mariners have done for me. And, you know, they just said, we need to figure out how you can throw the ball at the top of the zone better. And we need to just get your slider just moving to the left. We don't need any depth. It just needs to be horizontally different. That clicked really, really quickly. That clicked maybe like the next day after I had that meeting with, with everybody. And the, and the fastball didn't really click. And my spring in 2021 was a little rough. And I went to the alternate side and, and worked on it and worked on it. And, you know, it clicked when I was there. And, you know, we had a couple of games in AAA and, I had an opt out coming up and things have looked really good. And I, you know, I was trying to figure out if I'm, you know, I'm taking my opt out. Am I going to, you know, where am I going to go? And, and Andy McKay called me a couple of days before and said, you're not taking your opt out. You're coming to Seattle. We'll see you tomorrow. And I just kind of went there with, you know, an open mind that like, I'll try this. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. But at least, you know, at least I'm going to try something yeah. different that hasn't been working in New York. And um, it obviously works and I haven't looked back since, but it's, uh, it's been pretty crazy. From our perspective, when we have watched your story and a number of the pitchers, it seems like the symmetry between the analysts, the coaching staff, and the players is really strong, and it's produced great results. How do you think about the symmetry of the organization? Yeah, I think I think that goes from from Jerry down as far as who he's hired is important. Um, I, I talk a lot about how from John Stanton to you know. 
the guys who clean the garbage in the tunnels, like every person at T-Mobile Park is a good person. And just like, it just provides a better attitude around the field all the time. And then, you know, let alone who they are as people, they're very, very smart people that know what they're talking about. And I think just a blend of like Joel Furman giving the information to Woody and Trent and them talking in baseball terms rather than number number terms is that like conduit area that like you have to have that idea because it doesn't matter if the front office thinks you need to do this, but you can't, you guys aren't speaking the same language, then it doesn't matter. Your things aren't going to work. And I think that's a credit to, to who, who we have on staff that, you know, is able to talk in baseball terms, in analytic terms, in, you know, player terms, yeah. that sort of thing. I think it's the most important thing that, that the front office can get their message across because it doesn't matter if the front office thinks you could do this, but you're not getting that message and you're not doing it, then you, things aren't going to work the way we all hope that they're going to work. It doesn't matter if you do all this analytic research, but no one teaches me how to throw the ball up. Then it doesn't really matter. Like <laughs> I'm never going to throw the ball up or I'm never going to move the slider the way I want to. That's, that's the important part is that we just have a great group of people who are really good at explaining what somebody's telling you going this way and then also going the opposite direction. So, or I can tell Trent and Woody to tell Joel, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I need, I need, you know, you need to explain to me why I need to do that because I've pitched for 30 years. Like I, I, I know how to pitch. That doesn't make any sense to me. Then we, we go back and forth and keep that communication going. Yeah. It's got to make sense you know, for the player all that information. The arc of a career is very interesting. You start off as a young player, as you did with the Mets, and now you've been around for a long time. Who was most influential to you as a reliever? And now you're the veteran guy down in the bullpen. Matt Brash, as we mentioned earlier, starts off as a starter, then comes down to the bullpen. How has Paul Seawalt taken over that role for somebody that did it for you back when you were a young pitcher? For Seattle fans, you know Jerry Blevins from his time in Oakland for quite a few years. He was the most influential veteran that I got to kind of... He was my catch partner for a few years. He was a good influential person in my life trying to figure out, like, how do I establish a major league routine where I can pitch 60 times a year? There's no off days. Like, I, I need to be ready every day. What do I need to do to be ready? How do I figure out to lessen the slope of my roller coaster results, that sort of thing. I think he was a great, he was a great influence on me. And I really appreciated everything he did for me the first couple of years. I just think I've become that role because I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of really bad. I was, I went through a lot of really bad in New York. And so I think I can, I think I've learned how to handle bad better than a lot of people. I'm thankful because I got another chance. Not everyone gets another chance once they've learned how to handle the handle the bad results. So I think that's where I can help is that I, I've been through, if you're pitching poorly, like I, I will explain that I've pitched, I've pitched worse. Like here's how we can get through this. Yeah, and I just, gonna I just, better. it's going to get better. And, and, you know, luckily for our bullpen, we don't have a lot of worse. It's usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so our roller coaster is pretty flat. Thankfully. That's the thing, man. When you look at this bullpen and the stuff alone is ridiculous. One slider after another, it's, it's all, Filthy. When you just look around at what you're surrounded by in the bullpen, how do you describe it? Yeah, I think it helps motivate each other to be as good as you can be because you know if you if you fall off at all in this bullpen, we we have other guys that can replace you. That's kind of like that's kind of the crazy thing is that like in my two years that I've been here now, it'll be a third, and we'll have we'll have different guys there. You know, a third of the team is changed every single season in a major league roster, which is a crazy thing to think about, but like things change and there's different people. And, and 2020 was not very good for the Mariners pen. We had 2021. We had a bunch of people that weren't there. 
Um, me, JT Shagwab, second rider, Sadler turned into the person that he was. And then, you know, then we trade JT for Diego. And so we go into 2022 thinking this is our group. Sadler gets injured. Uh, Steck, you know, isn't as effective as he is. Next thing you know, we get, you know, so then it's me and Diego. And then we get Mooney who turns into the best pitcher in baseball. And it, you know, that's just kind of how it works. It's just, it's the next man up and it's, and it's your turn. And so when it's your turn, like you have to capitalize that on it. And I think it helps that our starters give us six innings every time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're usually winning two to one or three to two or, you know, five to four at the worst. And so it kind of makes us feel like, all right, well, these hitters aren't necessarily, you know, licking their chops to get up, to get up to the batter's box. They've had a tough day already. I think that definitely helps with the overall attitude of, of when we come into the bullpen. Visiting with Mariners reliever Paul Seawall here in Hot Stove. Paul, I want to go back a few years. 2015, you were on Team USA in the Pan American Games. Uh, who were some of your teammates, and how many you know have pitched or played in the big leagues from that ball club? Tom Murphy was our catcher. Oh, so okay. I've known I've known Tom for quite a bit of time. You know, it's funny that was the last time I'd seen him. He got called up. We flew home from the Pan American Games because we were playing each other in Double A. He gets a call. As we land, like, hey, come to the field and get your stuff. You're going to AAA. And I was like, well, can I still get a ride to the field? Because I'm stuck in AA. So, um, and so then I didn't see, I didn't see him for a few years before he went to, uh, before he went to, you know, he went to AAA. And then I got to see him when we were in Seattle. Um, but we had a couple of really good players. Um, I was there for Josh Hader's very first relief appearance. He, he was a starter. He's an inconsistent starter in AA, throwing like 88 some days and then 95 other days. Uh, and they, you know, the Astros, this was when he was back with the Astros and they said, you know, we want to limit his innings. We'd like him to be a reliever. And he went out against Cuba. It was 98 to a hundred wow. <laughs> for really? two innings against Cuba. And we had some veteran guys that were like, yeah, you're never going to be a starter. Yeah. Like no. this, you're never going <laughs> to be it. a starter. You are a reliever. Your days as a starter are over. You are going to be a lockdown reliever. And they, they called that one pretty well. They called that one pretty well. Uh, finally, Paul, uh, I think you are a great celebrator on the field. Can we talk about the heart? We we always see you turn around. You, you give us the heart. What's the heart? So in 2021, my wife and I had our daughter, Chloe, in the middle of the season. Um, I came home for paternity leave. I uh, spent my five days here here in Vegas and then had to leave and go to Texas uh, because that's you know the situation that we were in. Um, and it just one, I just wanted to, you know, I just told my wife to, you know, make sure you watch after, after I'm done pitching, I'll, you know, I just want to show you that I'm thinking about you. And it just kind of turned into like, no matter if I'm in Texas or New York or Seattle and they're at the game, um, just a reminder that, you know, no matter what baseball is, I'm just thinking about them and, and, um, you know, oftentimes on the road, they're not there. So it's, it's good to just send them a little message. Well, I know we got to wrap things up, but what would you like to tell the fans about this group of guys, this team, after what you did last year to build on it? What would you like to tell the fans about what they're going to see here in 2023, a brand new year? I just want to say a huge thank you to everything that they've been through. Um, you know, I give them a lot of credit. You 21 years of an unsuccessful team and it didn't stop them from coming out in droves, even in April and May, when the weather's crappy, we're not playing well. Um, they still packed that place. And, and, you know, then we started to get on a roll and, and just the support that, that they show us on social media at the field, um, was support in Toronto, in Houston. Um, just more than anything, I just want to say thank you to, to our incredible fans and, and the Pacific Northwest fans are crazy and, and, and we appreciate every bit of it. They appreciate you too, buddy.
Paul, this was really fun. Thanks for taking all this time. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. So good to see you guys. We'll see you in, in less than a month. Not very long at all. I know. Can't wait. Thanks, Paul. Take it easy, guys. There it is. Paul Seawald. We'll come back. We have more hot stove. Frankie Thon Jr. will be our uh, guest coming up right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove as we have a very busy, busy day. Frankie Thon Jr. is with us. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer here. Frankie, this is your busiest time of year. Where do we catch you right now? Where are you in the world? Well, I'm glad to be on here, Gary. You know, I'm uh, actually on my way to uh, make another one of our signings here today. We've got actually a really cheerful couple of days for us here on the international side of things. As O'Henry Sarge would say, right, good vibes only, plenty of positivity. <laughs> We're still signing a couple more players. So, yeah, it's just uh, a really positive time of the year for us. Probably your favorite time of the year. So, really appreciate the invite and looking forward to this conversation. Frankie, can you take us a little bit more into what these days and what you're doing, um, what it looks like right now? It sounds like uh, you are literally all over the map and a lot of excitement. Yeah, we've got we've got our scouts flying all over the world. Really, we've got scouts in Nicaragua, we've got scouts in Curacao, scouts in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and then uh, Florida as well. So, as we allude to every year, and, and probably should have trademarked it because by now I've seen it used here and there. But yeah, I won't take the legal route. But <laughs> we uh, we actually kind of refer to it as an international day of joy, if you will, um, to make the analogy. For those who have kids, right, we think we know the definition of the word wonder, and then you kind of see it firsthand come to life with your kids. In very much the same way, the word joy, we think we know what it means. And then you get to sit there and witness an international kid and his family sign a professional baseball contract. And they're not only fulfilling a dream, but they're usually drastically changing, I guess, their living conditions, their quality of life. And, and, and when you see that fresh out joy kind of materialized in front of you, it's hard to top that. It's, I would say even the most cynical a person would have a really tough time not getting caught up in the morning, which is why, again, we, we refer to as our favorite time of the year. You mentioned the scouts all over the world and all the work you do, all the scouts, all the work they do through the course of the year. What do these couple of days represent for all that work? It's the culmination, really, of a lot of work, and, and it's not usually months, it's years. And, mm. and our objective at the end of the day is really to acquire not just the best combination of talent and work ethic, but the, the person and the human being behind the scenes as well. And so, sure, we want to do all the information-based decisions when it comes to what we see on the field, but, but the work that goes into getting to know a player and, and what the separator usually is, it, it is not the tools on the field because that way you can separate them as players. But when you're about to make a decision, it comes down to getting to know the player, the family, the trainers that are involved in, in, in that person's growth. So it's just a combination, a culmination, sorry, of, of all the work that's been done, both from our side as scouts, but also all the people that are involved in that, in that, in that player's personal history, right? It's a culmination. It's a great, 
it's a great way to kind of wrap it all up. What can you tell us about the newest Mariners class? Well, obviously, you know, the, the headliner being Fendi Celestine, he's, he's a very unique talent just in terms of the tools that he possesses, the elite athleticism, the position that he plays, being shortstop, the room for growth in his frame, the feel for playing. You, you kind of grade him out in all those areas and you combine all the factors and you realize you're dealing with a really rare player. It's potentially at the very top of the scale. Um, it's not a stretch at all by any means to suggest that he's got perhaps the highest ceiling of anybody in our Mariners minor league system. Um, obviously, having said that, those players who right now have at the top of our prospect rankings, they've gone out and actually done it. They've complimented their talent by actually going out and performing. Now it's a matter of whether Felling can do the same, whether everybody involved in his development can, can kind of help him grow into that type of impactful player that he could be. Um, so obviously, he's the headliner. And then a couple other names we'll keep adding throughout the days here, leading – uh, throughout the week, but out of the list that has officially come out, I'd say the other two to point out are, are two pitchers, Kendall Mesa and Rudy Navarro. Um, they're both hard. They're both hard throwing righties with a chance to have really big velocity on both our secondary pitches. Uh, Kendall Mesa is from Nicaragua. He's already throwing the low 90s and he's got a solid slider. And Rudy Navarro is from the Dominican Republic. He's mostly a fastball changeup guy, but both guys chance to throw really hard and, and, and have some impact secondary pitches. After signing day, what are the next steps for these players? So as the international landscape has changed, in the past, their past, they used to sign basically a year before they would play. So they would have all this development time. It's not just after they would sign, they wouldn't play right away. They would play an unofficial league that used to be called Tricky League, and basically there would be no stats. It was not officially on their on the back of their card, if you will. And then after that would take that would take place for two or three months. Then they would go through fall instruction in the Dominican Republic. Then they would go through spring training and then their actual DSL season. Since the dates after COVID, after the COVID lockdown, now their signing days have changed and now it's January. So that means that they have missed those six to eight months of really just pure development, not just on the field, but learning the culture and everything mm. else. So it's accelerated. It's become till first. So now they sign in January. They come into campus in February, and they got to start playing a real season in May. So it's uh, it's also affected the way that you scout because, in terms of trying to dream or project on players, both physical tools and their maturity, you have to adjust that way because you're basically losing almost an entire year. So so they have to be a little bit more ready to kind of come in and, and basically show and go. What is the direction that you get from the organization? And some years you see it as a small class, some years it's a larger class, and you divide up the signing or the sign the, the pool money differently. I would imagine with projection and the age that you're dealing with, it's mostly go get the most talent you can get. But is there we need this down the road, or we need that, or we prefer that we do this in this season? How does that come down to to you and what you do? There's no real specific ask that changes year to year or, or hey, there's a there's an area that we need to fill. Uh, really, it's more about, again, focusing on that information-based decision uh, rather than simply going off our guts or solely scouting off our scouting eyes. Obviously, those are all things that are really crucial parts of the equation, whether it's pro scouting, amateur scouting in the draft or international scouting. But really, the only direction that we get and the only thing that, that we're that we're really given in the sense of direction or instructions, the fact that we just need to check off. Um, we, we need to check off a long list of things that need to happen and that we need to see, you know, to put in front of the front office to be able to sign any sort of player. 
Um, at the end of the day, what ends up happening, whether it's a huge class where, or a bigger class where you kind of distribute money or whether it's a class where you spend most of the money on, on one single player, as is the case this year, um, that's just a case-by-case basis. You try to go after the best talent. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And then, um, obviously, you have your plan A, B, C, D, and, and so on and so forth. Just like you have in a draft, your your plan is only as good as, as your first. If you're in a draft room, right, and, and obviously it's a different market, but if you're doing the draft room, you have your plan, and then all of a sudden the first five picks go in front of you, and, and then you need to go to your plan B, C, or D. It's similar on the international side. We have our, our main board, and, and we have the players that we go after. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't, and so you go, and so you go after the next the next few names. But there is no there is no specific need. We just go. We follow our, our general our general philosophy of kind of information based decisions, and the chips fall as they may. Visiting with Seattle Mariners director of international amateur scouting Frankie Thon Jr. Frankie, how would you describe? You're obviously very visible on these couple of days uh, with signing days. How would you describe your day to day job? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say we're almost in the witness protection program. Because we are, uh, like you said, we're, we're visible for a few days out of the year. For the rest of the year, you may not even know that we exist, that we're alive. That includes our family members as well, with, with as much travel as, as goes on. But I think our the way our process is not that different than, than how we run things on the amateur draft side of things. There, it is no coincidence that a lot of us on the international department we get to sit in, uh, not just the draft itself, but during meetings and through the process throughout the year because we want to mirror it. It'll never be the same, right? But mm. we want to mirror the process, the decision-making process. Obviously, the day-to-day, where we travel, it is the same amount of travel as you do on the amateur side. It just so happens that instead of going from state to state, you're going from country to country. But um, the travel is very similar. The time on the run is very similar. It just so happens that instead of being in Atlanta, Georgia, or Tallahassee, Florida, you happen to be in Colombia or Panama or, or the Dominican Republic. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you come from a big baseball family. Uh, is scouting something that you wanted to do from day one? I, I look at your, your bio, and you have a very interesting educational history with degrees in psychology and philosophy, which <laughs> a master's in philosophy, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, what has your path been to this? Yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly. I, I grew up in a household where baseball was not just a hobby, it was a way of life. Uh, my great-grandfather played pro ball and he managed in winter league. I have uh, four other family members who played pro ball, including my uncle who played 15 years in the big leagues. My dad played up to double-A in the minor leagues. So did my brother. And my cousin played up to high-A ball. So the... Uh, my path is more of a reflection of my lack of playing skills more than anything else. And so I, I had to find a, a different path. And to be honest, I, I, if you would have asked me uh, in my early 20s uh, what I wanted to do, I wanted, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a professor. And so that, that explains sort of the, the educational path that I took. But, you know, again, when you grow up in a baseball family and that is what you grew up to know, uh, that pool, it just, I keep going back to that. And so, I didn't have the, the physical playing skills, but I grew up around them. My dad was not only a scout, he managed in the minor leagues, and he managed in the minor leagues as well. So we were, I was always around the game. I was always around pro players. I was in the dugout. And so I, I think I absorbed through osmosis and, and just through the sheer, just physically being there. 
I've sort of a lot of the feel and a lot of the instincts for the game that didn't happen on the field, but I got it through my father and just through, through the people that I was around as I was growing up. What do you enjoy the most about what you do? I think the responsibility, besides the, again, we talked about the day of joy and, and how that materializes and, and watching families and kids not only fulfill their dreams, but take that first step towards uh, the ultimate professional goal. I think the responsibility of when you when you have to embrace and not shy away from what comes with signing someone at these kind of levels, right? It's not. It's certainly not lost upon us, and we take it very seriously. Just just the responsibility it takes, it, and the trust that we're given from the organization to be able to go out and do this and, and kind of select the players that we want to add to the organization. I think when you think about it, every time there is a an international signing, it really isn't an international one. It's an organization wide signing, and it's a reflection of. Kudos to everybody, the front office, amateur scouting department, high performance, player development, even the projects team. It takes a village to get everything done, and, and, and I'm proud, not just not just me, but everybody involved is so proud of, of breaking down those walls and what it takes to make this happen. And for me, that's just, it makes it all very rewarding. How closely do you follow the previous classes, previous signings, and, and what can you learn from previous classes and previous signings? Yeah, for sure. I think we follow both our own signings and the signings of other teams, mm. specifically the players that you were interested in. And there's a balance there between you want to be able to to flip the page and not let it consume you, right? Consume you with fear when you miss on a player, whether it's because you missed um, on a player, you miss on signing that player and then end up being an impactful player somewhere else. Or or the few, or the times when you sign a player and, and, and you miss, if you will, right? I think there's that there's that balance of, of of having of having that irrational confidence of we're gonna make this happen the next time that we get an opportunity to do so, but at the same time you have to be informed, not just by your process and the decision that you make that, that you're very confident in, but also what happened in the past. And so it's, it's striking that balance and it's delicate and, and it's sort of sways from one end to the other, depending on the year and depending on how the players got and perform. But yeah, for sure. It, we for sure kind of look back, especially recent classes and, and see what happens internally and obviously with other clubs as well. Well, Frankie, we really appreciate you taking so much time today. We know how busy you are running all over the world. Thank you so much, and congratulations on what has been a, a very great couple of days for you and the Mariners. No, I, once again, I really appreciate the invite. Thank you guys for having me. And, and no, it's a, it's a really, really fun time for us, and I uh, look forward to it uh, every single year, really. As Director of International Amateur Scouting, Frankie Thun Jr. We'll come back with more as Hot Stove continues. More right after this. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Uh, yes, welcome to it. It is the Hot Stove. Gary Hill here alongside Rick Riz. Shannon Dreyer, we missed you last week. Shannon, it's great to see you. Good to be back. Hello, Shannon. Hi, Gary. Rizzy, uh, your chair. I'm sitting in Bob Stelton's <laughs> chair, and I You're feel like seven I'm on feet stage. Tall. Yeah, You're like a Wimbledon judge right I, now. I know that's out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's he's way up there. But uh, <laughs> Brady's here <laughs> as well cool. on the other side of the glass. Brady, who I just saw in person for the first time, oh. he has done 700 Mariner games. Are you sure that's Brady? 
Actually, no, it could be anybody. I, I could tell, though, the voice. It sounded like him. Okay. So it's great to see Brady in person. It is funny. Brady and Matt Nelson do all our games all year long, right? And we talk to them every single day for hours at a time, uh, yet never, never see them. He's got the Mariner's hat on. Yeah. He's ready to go. Yeah. And on, on, on the board, he just showed me the board where they got a dump button. And it's a picture of Cal Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice touch. The big dumper. Oh, what that's a nice touch. Had? We've got a really fun show in store today. Paul Seawald's going to visit in the second hour. Uh, Paul is great. Yeah. It's going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, Shannon and I had a chance to catch up with someone who is very tough to catch up with, really, <laughs> anytime, but especially right now. Yeah. Frankie Thon Jr., the director of international scouting for the Mariners, is going to be here. He's got some miles. <laughs> he does. Oh, yeah, I bet. No one has more miles <laughs> than Frankie Thon Jr. So he's going to talk about the new class. And we talk, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his job, which is super interesting. And he's pretty interesting, too. Yeah. Just wonder where he was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he wouldn't say. Everywhere. <laughs> I mean, the, the international draft, we're talking about you know, yeah. signing 16 and 17-year-old kids, you know, and the Mariners got some big ones, you know. Down there, so it's it's really something. That's a lot of work to project, you know, where these kids are going to be at the age of sixteen. And they did a heck of a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also coming up every week, starting now, we're going to take a look at a team in the AL West. Uh, so we're going to chat with uh, Jared Sandler, who's part of the Texas Rangers broadcast team. The Texas Rangers are a super interesting team, and we're going to take a look at them closely. They've had a very active offseason. Larry Stone is going to be here as well, which is phenomenal, and one of our favorites, Perry Hill. We'll be oh, here yeah. as well. Love Perry. Yes. The best infield coach in the history of Major League Baseball? I think so. With all the gold glovers that uh, he tutored along the way, uh, love Perry. He's been an incredible addition. Yeah. Plus, there's no way you could really argue with that. Exactly. There's there's no way to measure it. So you could you could keep making that claim. And yeah, infield exactly. coach Hall of Fame. He would be He'd absolutely. Be in it. He would be in it. I mean, just, just no keep controversy. saying it. Yeah. I, I know. If you say it enough, I mean, perception becomes reality. But it's true. reality with him because I mean, when he was with the Tigers and when he joined the Tigers, they were the worst defense in Major League Baseball. And the following year with Perry, they had the best defense. In uh, the American League. So uh, he's, he's something and, and love talking with him. He loves the game. He'll be back. Uh, he'll be with us in a moment. Uh, and there was some big news since we did our last show. Felix. Oh, yeah. We didn't have a yeah. chance to talk about it. Yes. It broke right after we did the show last week. And I am so pumped for Felix Hernandez going into the Mariners Hall of Fame. Oh. I cannot wait. It was just to see him come out as he did during the postseason and just, the, I mean, the love affair that he has with his yeah. fan base. There's nothing more electric than seeing him take the field, and we're going to get to see that again and get to see him uh, take his rightful place Yeah, in a court of sorts <laughs> and nice. with the other Mariners Hall of Famers. Just absolutely fantastic news. Yeah, we saw him as a kid make his Major League debut in Detroit in 2005 and Grow into one of the best pitchers in the American League, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the Mariners franchise, and to see Felix in his last game, after his last game, go down the left field line, stand on that little wall with everybody in Kings Court with the yellow T-shirts and the K-cards, standing there with his hands in the air. Unbelievable. And those were just moments. Now he gets a complete weekend in August. I mean, how <laughs> yeah. fun is that going to be? Exactly. Yeah, if you're, making your, game. Yeah, if you're making your plans now, August 12th uh, against Baltimore at T-Mobile Park. That's the day. It'll be a weekend-long celebration, but that yeah. the, that's the day he's going in. Uh, 
I would go ahead and make your plans to be there because yeah. it's going it right to be now. phenomenal. Yeah. Probably not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, those weekends are so fun. And his connection to the fan base, and Shannon, you just pointed out, just seeing him again on the field for the playoff game, throwing out the first pitch, it was mm-hmm. phenomenal. I can't wait yeah. to see him this weekend, uh, that weekend in August. Absolutely. Be just uh, It's hard to believe that he's been gone for as long as he has been. But uh, to get to see that and uh, that connection uh, just continue, absolutely fantastic. Well, how many guys have had long careers, outstanding careers with one team? The team that drafted them, the team that, or the team that signed them, in his case, out of Venezuela, and stayed their entire career. He came real close. He was hurt, you know, went over to spring training with Atlanta, but never played or pitched for Atlanta. But he spent his entire career right here in Seattle. Those guys are few and far between. Yeah, I think he's got some pictures of him in a couple of different uniforms, but his baseball reference page is all mm-hmm. Seattle, so he's that's great. only a Mariner. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Good to know that distinction there. That's really <laughs> important. But, man, when you think about it, we knew him when. We, we, I mean, all the way back to when he was, what, 17 and his yeah. cap was falling off all with the every time. pitch that he threw in his <laughs> yeah. spring training debut to the perfect game, uh, to the last game. And I'm feeling very old right now, but <laughs> it was worth it to get to see all of that. You know, he was so accountable, too. After every game, no matter how he pitched, yeah. and he always pitched great, but on the times that, that he didn't, he was there. He was there in front of his locker. Shannon, you were there in the clubhouse. He was there all the time, very accountable. Uh, one of the greatest teammates, uh, you know, to ever put on a Mariners uniform and helped so many other young players, other young pitchers in that clubhouse along the way. He gave his all every time he took the field. Yeah. And you know what? I cannot imagine how emotional he is going to be. Oh yeah! Oh, for sure. You know, we talk about some guys are never going to make it through the speech. He's going to—that's he's <laughs> yeah. going to be right up there, right yeah. up there with them. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait. Can't wait. And I can't wait for Perry Hill. He comes up next. Hot stove is here. We'll come back with the Mariners' infield coach right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove, brought to you by Hatback. Great to have you with us tonight. Gary Hill, Rick Rich, Shannon Dreher, as we welcome in one of our all-time favorites, Perry Hill, Mariners infield coach, is with us. Perry, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. How's your offseason? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, the offseason uh, was, was fun and exciting, but it's, um, it's time to get to work. I'm ready to go, I'm ready to, go to Arizona. What's the offseason like for a coach like you, Perry, trying to get uh, acquainted with some of the news guys? Uh, Colton Wong is going to be our new second baseman. Uh, and how, how do you get ready for a brand-new season? It's great to have you with us tonight, by the way. Thank you. Um, I just I watch a lot of video um, and just to see if I can pick up something that uh, we could tweak. Or uh, if not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So I watch a lot of video, uh, even on our guys that have been here for a couple of years, you know, um, just to see if I can pick up something that maybe I missed along the way during the season. 
Perry, great to talk to you. What, what's a normal day in the off season like? What, what what would you do on a normal day away from baseball? Hi, Shannon. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, normal day. Well, I have a I have a son in high school. He plays basketball, so I'm I'm really the I'm an, I'm really the a glorified Uber. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to all kind of practices, and you know, when there's not a practice, I'm going to an open gym type thing, and and of course the games are going on right now, so that keeps me busy. But uh, usually in the morning, um, I'll do a little walk on the treadmill, and then I'll sit down in front of the iPad and watch video for about two hours. Now, if we went to one of those basketball games, would we hear a stop it here or there? Is that, or is that just a baseball term for you? No, that's just a baseball term. I sit there and, and sit on my hands so I don't say anything or do anything. Did they win I tonight? I know, I know you came from a game tonight. Did they win? Yes, they did. Nice. Yes. All right. Yes. Nice. They I, did. I've been anxious to talk to you. What? Baseball is going to look a little different this year with a lot of the things that we'll see on the field. And I have been anxious to talk to you about how you think it's going to look from the defensive side of things with the restrictions on the shift. How that will affect how you go about it. Well, obviously we're going to have to overplay guys. And then we're going to have, you know, uh, first step quickness is going to have, is going to, uh, be a must for our for our guys. Um, for instance, you got a left-handed left-handed hitter. JP can't go over on the other side anymore, so he can stay on his side close to second. But now he's going to have to range to his left, you know, try to cover that if that ball's hit, you know, where he would have been standing last year. Same thing for for Colton. Um, if there's a right-handed hitter up; he's going to be close to second base. Uh, JP is going to probably be in the hole, so if that ball's hit ten or fifteen feet uh, on the shortstop side of second base. Colton's going to have to, uh, and Colton and Dylan Moore are going to have to like uh, work on their first step and, and the quickness and be able to uh, backhand those balls and hopefully convert them to outs. So it's going to be it's going to be a little experimentation in spring training, and you know uh, we may tweak it. Uh, here and there, uh, but um, I think yeah. It, to your point, it's going to be very different, and and uh, you know, range is going to be a, a factor uh, in this coming years. And the other the other thing too, Shannon is um, uh, the the bases are going to be bigger this year, so we're going to have to like make adjustments on uh, how we hold runners on, how we're going to receive pickoff throws. Um, so, uh, there's a lot going into it this year. A lot of new things. How much of an adjustment do you think that will be Perry? Is that something that is going to take days, weeks, longer? How do you kind of envision all of that changing and taking place? Well, I think we'll be comfortable with it. You know, maybe by the second week of games, there's going to be some, some, uh, a little feel out period, you know, and, and, we may there may be some balls hit that we don't get to at first because things are new and and uh, positioning will be become a key factor in that. But I think you know it, as we get into you know the first five or six days of ground ball work and 
putting all our uh, plays in, all of our defensive plays in, and then give us a, a week or two of game situations, I think we'll figure it out before the season starts. Absolutely. Talking with J.P. Crawford uh, last year, Perry, he said, I'm going to like it a lot with not having a defensive ship because now it could be a shortstop. You know, so many times behind second base or on the other side of the bag, he said, I can be athletic and make those plays. We mentioned Colton Wong. He had some really good years with the St. Louis Cardinals coming over from the Milwaukee Brewers. We mentioned his name tonight a few times. What can you tell us and what have you seen so far in video or watching him down through the years? Uh, well, I've talked to Col- uh, Colton uh, through the years of crossing pass a lot, and I, uh, I've always told him I'd like to get him. I like I like him to be on our team someday. Uh, whether that was when I was in Miami, and then of course over here in Seattle, uh, we almost got him before, and then we, I think we were down to the last two, and he chose Milwaukee. So it took us a while, but we got him over here. Yeah. Um, We've talked a few times. Uh, you know, he's very athletic and um, a, quality, a quality second baseman. Uh, so, uh, but I have not seen him day in and day out. He mentioned to me that there's a couple of things that he would like to work on. So we'll, find, we'll figure out what those are and, and what he's talking about and uh, – that wall will be bouncing off. Uh, that ball will be bouncing off the wall <laughs> oh, yeah. early in, in the morning, spring. Yeah, in the mornings. Yes. How how does that work when you go to spring training and you have a new player like Colton Wong? How how does that relationship develop when you have a new guy? <clears throat> well, first of all, um, you just watch him for a few days. You know, you, you know, you don't. You don't trade for a guy and then, and bring him over here and then, and then immediately just start tearing him down. Mm. So I've never seen him play like I mentioned before, day in and day out. So you know, you just watch, just watch what they do. If they have a question, that's what I call opening the door. If they'll open the door, then I'll bull rush it. But <laughs> but for but for four or five days, I'll just kind of watch and see, and then. Uh, either leave it alone because it's not broke or if I see something that I think needs to be addressed, then we go out on the wall early uh, in the mornings before we go out on the field. Perry, what do you miss the most in the off season? Is it Ty France giving you a hard time every day? <laughs> a. Eugenio's singing to you. What, what, what are you just so you cannot wait to see and who, who can you, who do you think about in, when, in these cold winter days when, Oh. Looking forward to your baseball. Well, after we uh, clinched the playoff berth, um, Ty and and Gino JP uh, they wouldn't start. They wouldn't stop pouring stuff on my head. It was just like constant. It was like That's thirty awesome. straight minutes. I said, to, "You know, there's other people in this room, guys. They like you." But gee, they just kept pouring and pouring and pouring. You know, those are good guys. They work hard, and um, they'll put on a show for you guys. You know, when they come out and complain and gripe, but they go right down there and, and, and they and they they do everything they're supposed to do. You know, all that is, that's a show for you so you can like a laugh and then maybe write something about it or, or whatever. But, um, 
they're really hard workers and um, they're coachable. And what I like about, I don't know Colton very well yet, but uh, that you can like, you can get on them and get on them hard and they don't pout and they don't uh, stop working. They, they kick it in gear and they get after it and they, they work hard. They're good guys. I, re- I really enjoy our group. Yeah, they're hard workers because you're a hard worker. You know, they try, I think they try to, you know, keep pace with you, and uh, you <laughs> see that improvement uh, in in what you do. Uh, Perry, you you have uh, nurtured and tutored so many young players who have won Gold Gloves, including J.P. Crawford a few years ago, even Evan White over there at first base. I think Ty France should have won a Gold Glove or or two the last couple of years. What is the difference mm-hmm. between a good defensive infielder and a Gold Glover? What makes a Gold Glover? Well, in my opinion, and Shane has, has heard me talk about this, and Gary too, is that you know wherever we position a player, you know I, I like to look at like four or five steps to their left, four or five steps to their right, you know five or six steps up, and I and I connect all those, and I call it the box, the box. If they make all those plays in that box. It does several things. Number one, it gets us outs. I talk about 27 outs, no more all the time. Don't give uh, teams extra outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing it does, it, it cuts down on the, the pitches that the starting pitcher throws, so he can go longer in the game. The other thing is it doesn't tax the bullpen. The bullpen's not overused all the time. So, in my opinion... When I vote for gold glovers, I look at the guys who make the plays that they're supposed to make. It's that simple for me. Yeah. Hmm. If, if that ball's hitting that little box that I talk about, that should be an out every single time. And those are the kind of consistent infielders that that I like. Those those guys that convert those balls in the box to outs. And to me, that's the gold lever. Now, the guy that makes the great, you know, plays uh, outside the box that I call and be athletic plays, fine and good. I'll take those too. But I want the guy that makes the plays that they're supposed to make every day. You know, it's funny in baseball we measure everything, and defensive numbers I don't think are are where offensive numbers are. But do you, how much data do you lean on? During the course of a season, well, you know, I'll, I'll ask. Uh, I'll call Jesse uh, Smith, our uh, head analytical guy, and and I'll ask his opinion on things, or you know, if we're not getting the certain balls that we're supposed to get to, or or a league average of maybe going toward our backhands, or or, or where we stand, things like that, mm. and then that help that, and then that helps me go back when I watch video to see if maybe we're not in a good ready position. Maybe we're not ready when the ball's in the hitting zone. There's got to be something, the cause of our numbers not being where they should be. Mm. So, yes, I I, I uh, talk to those guys from time to time, and then uh, that opens my eyes when I look at video so I, I know what to really zero in on. Perry, you've been around this game for so long. 1976, your first year in professional baseball as a player in the minor leagues for six years, coaching in the minor leagues, coaching in the big leagues for many, many years with a number of 
uh, Big League Club. So fortunate to have you here. Almost 48, 50 years in professional baseball. You, you obviously love it. How have you stayed in this game for so long and do what you do so well? You know what? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. You just keep tricking them. <laughs> you, just, hey, you, you don't do that, tri- buddy. You don't trick yeah. anybody. You just keep you tricking them. But what is it no, about I, I, to stay in the game that long like you have? Uh, well, uh, to me, it's um, I call it CPE that I teach with CPE, and the C is for conviction. You know, you have to have conviction in what you teach. And not that you're not uh, open to new ideas and new things, but your groundwork, the principles that you teach, you have to have conviction, and you're not, and don't back down. Don't make people test you and try to uh, second-guess what you're doing. Um, uh, and obviously, Shannon knows this because um, she's down on the field a lot. I, I, I have very strong convictions in what I teach, and I'm willing to talk about it. But for everything that I do, I have a reason for doing it. Uh, the P stands for passion. If you don't have passion for your job, no matter what it is, then you're not going to be very good at it. Um, and the E is energy. When, you know, when I walk in that clubhouse door every day. I have to bring energy because the players feed off us, feed off the coaches. And so um, I'm quite obnoxious at times. I'm very loud. Uh, I speak my mind. I don't hold back. You know, I tell you exactly what I think. And I can get a little loud at times. But um, I think if you, if you, in any job, if you go by the CPE, conviction, passion, energy, uh, that that kind of uh, sometimes that fools people and they keep you around a little while, a little while. <laughs> uh, Perry, you are the absolute best. Thank you for taking so much time tonight. We really appreciate it, and we can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and I'll see you in Arizona. Absolutely. Thanks, Perry. Thanks, Perry. Mariners okay. infield Thanks. coach Perry Hill, just the greatest. <laughs> I love talking to Perry. And he isn't tricking anybody. No. He brings it every day. He is what you what you see on the field. And and you talk to anybody on this ball club, any infielder, you know, how did you get better? What, what are you doing? Perry Hill, Perry Hill, Perry Hill. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate to have him. No doubt. NFL playoffs in full swing. The Hatback Bar and Grill, the perfect place to catch all the action. Come out this Saturday. Enjoy uh, the divisional round. Enjoy some great day vibes. Go to hatback.com to make a reservation today. More great baseball talk coming up as Larry Stone will be here. We'll talk some M's. We'll talk some Hall of Fame as well. I'm interested to get into that. We'll do that as the hot stove continues right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Shannon Dreyer all here as we are joined by the Seattle Times legend Larry Stone. Larry, I was going to ask how your offseason is going, but we all know there is no offseason for the great Larry Stone. (laughs) Yeah, it just segues from one season into the next these days since I transitioned to the columnist role. But I did uh, did book my spring training flight today, so that made me feel good. What year is this now? Uh, Well, I've gone every year since 1986, except for two years ago, the COVID spring. So it's something like 36 or 37. Wow. You've been around the game for a long. How did you get started in this business, buddy? When and where? Well, (laughs) that's a good question, Rick. Uh, I had no intention of being a sports writer. I went to Cal Berkeley for college. And in my freshman year, there was a little ad in the school newspaper, the Daily Cal, that said they needed uh, sports writers. So it sounded fun. I I liked sports. I'd never really written too much. So I went in and it just so happened that the guy who covered Cal baseball had come down with mono the day before. They were desperate for someone to cover Cal baseball. So they they sent me a novice out. My first interview, uh, you, you guys will know this the great Jackie Jensen, former uh, uh, American League uh, yeah. most valuable player uh, with Red Sox and Yankees and a Cal legend. So uh, interviewed Jackie Jensen, wrote a story, and they liked it. So they made me the beat writer for Cal baseball, just fresh off the streets. And, and that's how it started. The rest was history. Larry, what yep. do you what do you prepare for this year in baseball? Obviously, there was the big step back, the rebuild. They made it to the postseason last year. They made it past the wild card round. Now what? I haven't been here before. Now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, now it's sustaining it and taking the next step and seeing, you know, starting a, maybe a streak of, uh, of postseason runs. Um, I'm sure that's the goal. And to to get by the Astros, that's the next. I think that's for the Mariners. That's the next step on the uh, uh, itinerary. I think, and uh, that's going to be a, t- a tough task. The Astros, uh, you know, they're coming off a World Series title. Um, they did lose some players, but uh, you know, they they have such depth. Um, it's going to be a fascinating battle because the, the the Mariners. They have a lot of young people who can who can take some steps forward, and they're going to have to 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 close that gap. How do you see the division? Because it's been a pretty interesting off season too for the Angels and Rangers this year. Yeah, I mean, you got to think. You know, the, the Angels continue to baffle when they have two <laughs> the word. two most yeah the the two most dynamic players in the game. You know, two of the top five for sure, and Otani and Trout. And yet they're 500 below 500 team, but they did, you know, they made some, they they made some some moves, and the the, the Rangers continue to be very aggressive. Uh, at some point, that's going to start transitioning to wins. Uh, you know, the, the one team that uh, will be continue to be the doormat will be the A's. I just don't see any hope for them. They, you know, some years they surprise you with their. You know, their young talent that no one really is expecting anything from. But I just don't see that being that kind of year. For they, they just seem uh, to almost have given up <laughs> in trying to, to build a contender. And it's a complicated situation with the stadium and everything. But, um, you know, the Astros, the team to beat, but the Mariners will have to, I think, more. Uh, 
uh, competition from from below uh, also on the rise in the in the Rangers and the A's. Or excuse me, the Rangers and the Angels. There we've got the Hall of Fame uh, vote going on, and uh, we're going to find out uh, here in the next uh, few days. Um, you know, Billy Wagner, great chance. Uh, uh-huh. Todd Helton. Uh, what are your thoughts about? You know, uh, who, who's going to make it this year by the writers? Well, I think I think the number one, Rick, the the, the guy who has the best chance is Scott Rowland, um, former Phillies, mainly Phillies uh, third baseman, yeah. who came close last year. You know, our friend uh, um, Ryan Thibodeau, who does the, the tracker, has him at 79%, has Helton also at 79%. But that's only of, of known ballots, so that's right. not... Uh, you know that's not definitive, but uh, I think it's going to. I think Roland's going to be right at that seventy-five percent threshold. He, he could go over, or he could be a little bit under. Uh, I, I'm not sure, and I think Helton's going to be right there too. I think those, honestly, those are the only two that have a chance this year. Though, as you mentioned, Wagner, I think will get close, and uh, Andrew Jones uh, will also be knocking on the door. You know, those those two could could maybe make it um, next year. Seems like a very different year when it comes to voting. Uh, it seemed like so easy to get to 10 the last few years, and maybe this year not so much. Yeah, a lot of people went off the ballot this year, uh, including some, you know, all the controversial ones, uh, Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling all off the ballot. Uh, so... Um, and uh, Ortiz went in the Hall of Fame. So there's four guys that, uh, you know, that got a lot of votes last year that, that, that aren't that aren't there. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, this is the first time I haven't voted for 10 in uh, over. Uh, I think uh, I think it's been like almost 15 years mm-hmm. since I didn't vote for the, for the maximum 10, but I just didn't see it this year. You take it very, very seriously. What What do you look at? When you put down a name for the Hall of Fame for a position player and a pitcher, yeah, I mean, I just I pour over their stats. Uh, I think about their place in history. I try to, you know, the way you evaluate stats, as you guys know, has changed over the years, and it's kind of colored my thinking. Uh, you know, somebody like Bobby Abreu, I probably wouldn't have voted for ten years ago, but. You know, I you look if you look deeper into his his stats and uh, at, at other you know on base percentage, WAR, those kind of things, it's a, uh, it convinced me that that he that he got my vote. Um, and <laughs> as, as you guys know, it's not as it's just not as simple either as as a guy's stat package because Alex right. Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez would would sail into the Hall of Fame if it was just stats. Now nowadays you have to you have to factor in the, the whole performance enhancing drugs thing. And now Carlos Beltran, a yeah. uh, whole new wrinkle, is on the on the ballot this year. Who was at the who's been called the mastermind of the Astros cheating scandal? So do you vote? For, do you hold that against them? Even though. You know, but statistically, I, I I believe he's a Hall of Famer, but I didn't vote for for him. Just it just didn't seem right to give him a first ballot vote, uh, considering his role in that in that uh, sign stealing deal. So <laughs> I wish it were just as simple as evaluating the body of work, but these days, uh, for a long time, it hasn't been. And uh, you know, ever since probably McGuire went on the ballot, 
and then short, followed shortly by Bonds, Sosa. Uh, Sosa is another one who came off the ballot this year. Um, Clemens, Ramirez, A. Rod. Those guys. You, you have to. You have to think about other things besides just stats. Larry, what's your take on what we saw this off season? It's, you know, very strange. We of course saw the numbers just get astronomical with a very mm-hmm. select few, but we also did not see the trades that we expected to see. I've heard some theories that you know the analytics have really evened out, and organizations kind of all have the same info, so they can better evaluate. But do you think what we saw this year was uh, you know kind of a reaction, perhaps to the new CBA and where they're at, or do you think it was more of a trend? Well, yeah, it was it was fascinating, Shanna, just at the winter meetings to see those deals coming down, just staggering. The, you know, the length of the contracts were what surprised me more than anything. I'm not, I don't think I'm no surprised any longer by by the money deals. Although Jerry Depoto had a funny comment uh, at the winter meetings. He said, "Yeah, for the 20th straight year, you know, I was surprised <laughs> by the by the amount of, of dollars that people were getting." It, it, it always has amazed me how. Yeah, every year we're surprised by the numbers people get, but uh, I do think that you hit on on two two uh, reasonable theories that uh, you know the the CBA in place it gave uh, uh, teams uh, you know at least they know what the system's going to be. There's no mystery anymore, and the revenues uh, are are skyrocketing, and so teams are flush with money. A lot of teams are. Some teams, some teams claim they aren't. Uh, but uh, so there, there, there was a lot of money for teams to throw at guys. And as far as the the trades, I, I do think there's something to the fact that uh, you know teams are too smart, almost too smart now. They don't. They, they may be suspicious of other teams if they're going after after their players because uh, what do they see that they don't see? Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I, I, and to a certain extent, it's probably cyclical. Too next next spring, we may see a whole, or next uh, winter, we may see a whole bunch of trades too. Larry, we're going to see some very big changes in the game of baseball this year. Looking forward to it. The pitch clock, you know, where a pitcher has to deliver a pitch in fourteen seconds with uh, nobody on. Also, the defensive ships are going away. Uh, the uh, bases are going to be bigger. Are we going back to the future now? We're going to see two guys on the left side of the infield, two guys on the right side of the infield. I'm, I'm going to love it. Uh, what are your thoughts about the changes? Yeah, I'm a big fan of of, of both the pitch clock and mm-hmm. the shift ban. Uh, it's really frustrating to me, and I know it probably is to you to see to see a ball that was a hit for a hundred years and right. suddenly, it's, particularly, yeah, it's just gobbled up by a guy playing. Uh, short right field and you know i don't hold it against teams that they should be doing it it's the smart thing to do it works uh just look at the plummeting batting averages around baseball but i just think it's a better game and with more offense if if uh if you if you deploy them that way where they have to have two on either side i'm sure there's still going to be some some uh maneuvering and some people trying to outsmart the system and 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 the like but i i do think it's going to help the the left-handed hitter who the pull hitter Kyle Seeger's probably wishing that he could come out of retirement <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah cuz he uh, you know he's uh, i think as good a career as he had just think what he would have done without the shift and the pitch clock 
you know, it just worked wonders in the minor leagues. Uh, not only were the was the speed of the game in, in, uh, improved and the pace of the game, but offense. You know, Jason Stark wrote a, wrote a long piece detailing how the offense picked up as well, just because I think everyone was into the game more, maybe or more alert or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's lots of theories, but. Um, yeah. I just think it'll be a crisper game with 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 better pace, um, which is something that baseball has needed for a while. Well, Larry, you're the best. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, and we can't wait to see you uh, for your 36th or 37th spring training this year. <laughs> <laughs> but by, by the time I see you, I'll, I'll get a calculator out and figure it out. Oh, okay, yeah, good. Right. We'll get you a, a cake down there and get some candles going, too. So. Thanks, All right, Larry. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate yeah, it. Looking Thank forward you, to seeing you guys. All right. Bye-bye. There it is, Larry Stone of the Seattle Times. An unparalleled sports experience coming to T-Mobile Park this season. The all-new Press Club 20 game plans now available to enjoy the spectacular views and incredible all-inclusive food and drink menu. Visit mariners.com slash press club for some of the best seats in the ballpark for 2023 and All-Star Week. We talked about it a little bit in that conversation with Larry Stone. We touched on the division. We're going to dive into the Texas Rangers a little bit more and talk to one of their voices. Jared Sandler is going to join us coming up right after this on the Hot Stove. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Of Paul Seawald come out up in a few minutes. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Shannon Dre are all here. We're going to dive into the Texas Rangers. We're joined by one of the voices of the Rangers, Jared Sandler. Jared, it is great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us from Texas tonight. We appreciate it. It is awesome talking to you all, especially because Aaron's not a part of this. I, uh, I don't look forward to this conversation even more. Yeah. So what do you – it's the second offseason in a row that Texas has been pretty aggressive. What do you make of their offseason? Thanks for the all, by the way. That made it very authentic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, this is the first full offseason in which Chris Young has you know, had full control. Uh, you know, he was sort of uh, learning under John Daniels. They had a you know, great relationship. There was no animosity there or anything. But, you know, it's his show now. And, uh, you know, he talked a lot about how – uh, he was tired of you know this team losing, and and he grew up here. Uh, he grew up a Rangers fan, and so maybe it it hits him a little harder. Uh, but uh, you know he said he wanted to spend, and he said he you know they, they needed to upgrade the pitching staff. Obviously, he was a, a former pitcher, so uh, he's probably partial to you know Im- improving the production on the mound. And uh, they obviously didn't uh, uh, they didn't waste time getting Jacob Degrom, and and a lot of people are wondering after last off season how much money they had to spend, and you know they're not quite the San Diego Padres or anything. They certainly uh, they were not afraid to write some big checks again, and I mean it's you know, they went from having a rotation of, of guys who you know had very little major league experience, uh, and you know it, it kind of trying to establish themselves to now a full rotation of guys with big league experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully, guys can stay healthy. Hey, Jared, this is Rick. Thanks for joining us tonight to talk about the Texas Rangers. You mentioned Jacob DeGrom, and with uh, Steve Cohen's money there with the New York Mets, you kind of figured that DeGrom was going to go back and stay a New York Met. How surprised were you that uh, the Rangers indeed signed him, and did you have any inkling or everybody else that, uh, you know, this could possibly even happen and join the Texas Rangers? So, Rick, I knew... I, I, I'm not surprised that they 
spent as much money as they spent or had the capacity to do it. I did not think uh, Jacob DeGrom was going to uh, become a Ranger. I, I, you know, you kind of mentioned you know, the Mets and Steve Cohen. Early on, there were reports tying DeGrom to the Rangers, but I thought that was the classic, like, let's, right. uh, you know, let's work some leverage here and make sure that the Mets know that they're teams that you know, are willing to pay him and pay him you know, X years and X dollars. And I don't know, you know, how it all went down. Did they go back to the Mets and did the Mets say, no, you know, we're not going to go at this level. And so he did end up signing or or what the deal was. You know, there are always reports on what the next best offer was. But I did not think Jacob DeGrom was going to be a Ranger. If you would have asked me of the two big arms, uh, I would have told you that I thought there was a a higher likelihood that Carlos Rodon was going to be a Ranger. So uh, I I was a little surprised by that. uh, But I'm not surprised that they did invest a lot of money in the rotation because it just, I think the ownership group is kind of tired of losing. And obviously, as I mentioned, Chris Young uh, certainly was tired of losing. And, you know, there's a a difference. It's always, I feel like, a fine line as a GM uh, between being aggressive and being impatient. You know, when you're impatient, you, you start to make decisions that end up putting you in a bad spot. Uh, when you're aggressive, then you know you're you're maybe coming up a little short of that, and and still making prudent decisions. And uh, I think there are people that that assess the Rangers off season and will say that they were impatient. Uh, some people will say they're aggressive. Uh, all I know is that you know the depth that they have in their rotation is uh, is something that this organization has honestly never had. Uh, this is this is right now while everyone is still healthy. Uh, the best rotation the Rangers franchise has ever had going into a season. And, uh, you know, if these guys even remotely stay healthy, then uh, they're going to be in a much better position to compete in an incredibly tough division with, you know, the Astros who just, they don't go anywhere. And, you know, I I don't need to tell you guys this. uh, I think that organization that you guys get to watch all the time is uh, on the rise and a really fun team as well. Jared, I don't think anybody is yet to prove or any organization is yet to prove that you actually can have too much pitching, but the Rangers <laughs> do certainly have a ton of pitching right now, certainly a rotation and young arms coming as well. And I was talking with Gary a few weeks ago and I looked at that and I said, they could make a trade right now with what they have. You hear Brian Reynolds' name come up sometimes. Uh, you're young guys and you look at a lighter or even a rocker or any of your young pitching how likely is it that they do put together a trade, or do you think that you will see these arms in the rotation as well? Yeah, so I think it, it's a great point, Shane, especially when they signed you know, Nathan Evaldi, you know, that freed up uh, you know, more flexibility in, in that department. And the Rangers, you know, unfortunately, one of the big stories for the Rangers here over the last decade is that you know, they have these guys who maybe have a high ranking or a high regard you know, based on these prospect publications, but they don't pan out or they become a role player. But the Rangers are, you know, so much better positioned from a, a depth standpoint uh, in their farm system. And it seems like they do have the top end talent. They don't have to make a move. You know, it's not it's not like they've got, uh, you know, the, the starting quarterback of the future and then the, you know, the next best quarterback and they can't play them both. You know, you're, what you said at the very beginning, you can never have too much pitching. Uh, I don't think they have to make a move, but they're definitely in a position where uh, if they want to upgrade their lineup, and I think they, they definitely need to. Uh, their lineup took a big step forward last year, but they still uh, have you know have room to grow there. Uh, that Whether it's now or maybe before the trade deadline, they've got the, the prospect capital to make not just a, you know, a, a mid-level move, but a big-time move and still have some depth. 
and and I think that's the key here is that you know, a lot of teams can obviously make a big move with their prospects, but they're depleting their farm system. I don't know if these guys are going to turn into studs, but right now, you know, they haven't driven the car off the lot with all of them, and so the shine is still there, uh, and they have the depth to, to make a big move and still have a, you know, what would be considered a, a pretty good farm system. If the Rangers are going to compete for a playoff spot this upcoming year, what's going to be the, the biggest key? Well, they're going to have to figure things out, you know, with the bullpen. Uh, gosh, I mean, you guys want to make a bullpen for bullpen trade? We, we, let's, let's get Paul Seawald on here. Nope. See if he has any interest in coming in now. Hey, nope. The, the bullpen, the bullpen still is a lot of work, uh, and you know, I, I, I think the, the, if you want to talk about them through the lens of like, hey, a, a World Series competitor or contender, I should say. They, their lineup needs to improve. Now, their lineup's good enough to be a playoff lineup right now. It's not, not outstanding, but it is good, and it should be getting better with a lot of youth infused here in the next uh, maybe season, season and a half. Uh, but it, it still, I think, goes back to the pitching. And then uh, the health. You know, is Jacob deGrom going to give you 25 starts or 15 starts? Is, uh, you know, Andrew Heaney going to be able to pick up where he left off second half of last year with the Dodgers? Nathan Avaldi, can he stay healthy? Because when these guys are healthy, they're really good. And Jacob DeGrom, when he's healthy, is maybe the best in baseball. Uh, they all they all have questions. Uh, and it's it's not unfair to ask uh, or, 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 or side-eye some of the moves because of that. But if, you know, even 60% of their rotation can stay really healthy uh, and their bullpen can come together and they can make some of the right, you know, bargain-type moves with the bullpen, uh, then, then they're a, a playoff contender. But Guys, I mean, it's not easy. I know that the, the playoffs have expanded. Uh, even with all this, the Rangers are still probably the third-best team in the division, right, you know, behind uh, behind the Mariners and the Astros, unless the Astros finally just kind of collapse, like, you know, we've all been hoping they, they would have done already. Uh, but it's really tough to make the playoffs when you're the third-best team in your division. And so, you know, that's going to be an incredibly big challenge. And that's, you know, the Rangers are competing – you know, to, to not be the third best team of the division. And that's, uh, you know, that's not going to be a, a downhill battle by any means. Visiting with Jared Sandler, play-by-play man for the Texas Rangers. Jared, I think one of the biggest off-season moves was uh, talking Bruce Bochy to coming back and getting back in the dugout. Great success with the Padres, super success with the Giants winning three World Series titles. What did it take to get Bochy uh, in your dugout? Well, Rick, I, I meant to say this earlier. I can't wait to see you at spring training. We're, we're about a month away. I'm going to give you a big hug when I see you, Rick. It's, okay. uh, it's been too long. But I, I, I uh, love you too, buddy. I, I think, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly it's great talking to all of you. It, it, you know, means that baseball's around the corner. And obviously, you know, for the Mariners coming off, you know, what an exciting last two years, really, but certainly last year. And the Rangers uh, hopefully can be relevant now for the first time in, in, in quite some time. But, uh, I think it's I think it's kind of what we've been talking about, Rick. I think that they sold Bruce Bochy on a plan. I don't know that Chris Young Garrett could. Uh, probably pretty upfront about, hey, we're going to spend, we're going to be aggressive. This is not uh, going to be a finished product on opening day, twenty twenty three. But you're also not going to have to sit through two more years of a you know a significant rebuild. You know, I don't think Bruce Bochy signs up. If, uh, you know, the plan is to slow play it. And uh, and so I think that was what was appealing to him. He's got family in, in the DFW area. I, you know, how much does that make a difference? I don't know. Um, 
be or did seem to be pretty familiar with where the Rangers were and their organizational trajectory, you know, that they did have a strong farm system, uh, that there was money to spend. But I, I think it all boils down to Chris Young going there. And they had, a, they had an existing relationship. Bruce Bochy managed Chris Young when uh, Chris Young was pitching for the Padres at the end of Bochy's tenure with San Diego. But I think it comes down to Chris Young going there and say, hey, Bruce, uh, we're going to give you a chance to win because financially we're going to support this roster and we're prepared to do it in a big way. And I think that was probably really appealing to him. Well, Jared, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. I, too, will expect a hug in spring training, and I can't wait for that. So thank you. Well, Gary, your, your questions were the worst out of uh, <laughs> That's uh, always the case. So, Everyone yeah, knows so that. I don't know, I don't know if you've earned a hug, but uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll, we'll see what you do between now and then to see if we can get to that level. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jared. Thank see you guys. Thank you. There it is. Jared Sandler, one of the voices for the Texas Rangers. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back one final time to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Shannon Dreher with you. This was a really fun show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good to. I know you guys did this last week, but it's such a short buildup. I mean, we are going to be in Peoria before we know it. Yeah. And so, just a little bit of hot stove and then Cactus League. I mean, so I'll have it. to take off my winter hat. Yeah. Well, just talking baseball warms everybody up. You know, everybody's getting so excited after the great year last year, getting to the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Build upon that. See these kids, you know, get better uh, at spring training, excited about 2023. You just feel a little bit warmer. You can feel that Peoria sunshine, and we can't wait to get down there. Our first broadcast is going to be on uh, February 24th against the San Diego Padres. I can't wait. And as we heard, I mean, there's just going to be so much that's new and different this season, from the rules to the schedule to where we are going to uh, teams changing and the Rangers looking different, uh, the bases getting bigger, uh, Perry Hill with new drills for the guys, because Mm -hmm. it's I don't want to say it's a whole new ball game. It's the same ball game, but man, there's going to be a lot to keep track of. For sure. And to give everyone a little preview on next week's Hot Stove, Scott Service will join us. And I'm actually interested to get his take on, on a lot of things you just mentioned, Shannon, about he's been in the game a long time. I'm, I'm curious to get his thoughts on how he thinks this will play out and how the game will look different. So we'll talk to him next week. And there's a guy, too, that... Uh Doggone it. I thought he should have been the American League Manager of the Year. I think he deserved it last year and came close the year before. He's going to win it one year in the very near future, but I thought he should have won it this year. But he's done a great job with his ball club. He really has. So looking forward to that interview last year. Gary, great job putting together the show last week at Hatback Grill and still had Allie and also on the show uh, tonight. It was a lot of fun, buddy. It was fun. You can catch all the action with a Mariners Flex membership. Choose the games and seats you want all season long, plus save the at least 10% on tickets and get priority pre-sale access to 2023 All-Star Week. Come on board at Mariners.com slash flex. That was it. Are we done? Shannon, Rick, thank time you. To, time to say goodbye. All right. That's it. That's See it for the hot stove. Brady, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week.